Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. The Brooks is open in Overton Park, home to Memphis art collection since 1916. The Memphis Brooks Museum of Art holds the largest collection of world art in the region, with more than 10,000 works spanning 5,000 years of art and cultures. Remember, every Wednesday is free and open until 8 p.m. They are a proud sponsor of WYXR. For more information about the museum and their exhibitions, visit brooksmuseum.org. You belong at the Brooks. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM at Crosstown. This week, I've got two guests, Alex Feldman, who's the managing director of U3 Advisors, which is, I believe, based in Philadelphia. Is that right, Alex? That's right. And Rory Thomas, who's the new-ish president of the Memphis Medical District Collaborative. And the Memphis Medical District Collaborative, which we're going to Define a little bit for those who aren't completely familiar with it as an entity is actually celebrating its fifth year anniversary, which is kind of the occasion of the the occasion of choosing this topic for the show. So welcome, Rory. Welcome, Alex, to the program. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So I want to because I'm an because I'm an I'm a nerd. Before we talk about uh, the medical district specifically, Alex, I want to start off with you and because the you know the work in the medical district here in Memphis is actually a a strategy, you know, a community development strategy that is, you know, was sort of selected intentionally here in Memphis, but in other cities, it's called an, you know, basically an anchor-based strategy. So I wanted just to have you explain, not so much about MMDC, but just explain about what that, what that strategy looks like um, as a, like I said, as a, as a tool for neighborhood revitalization, which is what it is. Sure. Well, thanks, Emily, for having me. Um, and uh, it's a privilege to be able to talk about anchor strategies and 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 uh, the work of MMDC. So an anchor strategy is essentially um, working with what we call an anchor institution. So what is an anchor institution? It's a university. It's a hospital. Uh, it's a nonprofit. And why do we call them anchors? It's because um, the sort of the definition is that they're anchored in their communities. They're they're not likely to to move out um, or pack up. Um, and closed down. They're 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 there for hundreds of years. Uh, many institutions are a bit are older than you know the corporations that come in and out of cities all the time that are either chasing tax breaks or whatnot. So anchors are are there because they are rooted more closely to their communities and they're uh, heavily invested in their campuses and their communities. And what an anchor strategy is is really to 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 work with a, an anchor institution like a university or a hospital to help unlock their economic impact and their physical. Um, real estate holdings and um, all of those things to help create a more vibrant uh, community around them and a more economically sustainable place. Um, so what is an example of that? Um, so think about, you know, these institutions like universities and hospitals are often the largest employers in the cities that they're in. Um, you know, thousands of people work there, they commute in and out. Um, you know, 
part of our, our job is to think about, could we attract some of those employees and students to live closer to campus or live, you know, in the neighborhood where they, where they're going to school or where they're, where they're working, um, perhaps reducing commute times, making it easier for people to walk to work. Um, and when you start to, to um, attract that, um, you know, that employee base or that student base to live closer, um, you create a more um, sort of a, a, a larger economic market around the anchor institutions. You create opportunities for retail and for amenities and for, you know, things like that um, to help really create a more vibrant place. So it's about sort of, a, you know, the attraction of people and the, and the retention of people in the neighborhood. Um, we we um we also think about the purchasing of goods and services that anchors do right. They're major purchasers. They buy things all the time. So could some of those things be bought more locally? Um, and can they be focused particularly around underserved communities um, and businesses that have maybe not benefited as much in the past? Um, so we think about intentional purchasing strategies and then hiring as well. Um, can an anchor institution create um, you know create more pipeline opportunities for jobs for um, for residents in the communities that they're in? Um, so. You know, in, in essence, an anchor strategy really thinks about sort of the live by higher local opportunities um, for the for those for the neighborhood. Um, but it really uh, just a little bit of history. It comes back to I think a lot of the work that was done at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, really, one of the first anchor institutions that that sort of explored how it could be a better neighbor in its community. Time I went to college there, and I was able to um, you know see the transformation firsthand. But Penn really took a sort of um, it, it took a risk of, of saying we didn't want to. They didn't want to put their backs to the neighborhood. They instead opened up their campus, created you know more permeable um, edges and uh, job opportunities, created a community school, things like that um, uh, to make the neighborhood more vibrant. So hopefully that's a little bit um, a little bit of background that. Uh, and your and your firm kind of you three kind of specializes in these right. That's right. Yeah, our firm. You know, I'm based in Philadelphia, um, and but our firm works across the country. We work in in cities uh, around the United States and Canada, and a little bit internationally as well. Um, where we've, um, you know, we've helped create these anchor strategies. We've worked in places like Detroit uh, and Midtown Detroit with um, Wayne State University, Henry Ford Hospital, and Detroit Medical Center, um, and and created an uh, an anchor strategy there. And working with the University of Chicago and the South Side. Um, but I think really, honestly, one of the most successful ones that we've worked on has been the Memphis Medical District Collaborative. That's great. Well, um, and so Rory, I just wanted to say, I'm kind of directing these first couple of questions to Alex because of his institutional knowledge, but jump in at any time. Because one of the things I wanted to ask you, Alex, and I did meet you um, when MMDC was real, the, Me the Memphis Medical District Collaborative was really just getting started and what were the, um, how did that kind of come together? I mean, the the anchors in the neighborhood, and I want to, you know, list them in a minute, but the anchors in the neighborhood, I mean, they were organized before loosely, and there's a little nonprofit that was doing its thing, but who decided, you know, that's not enough. We need to really organize and, um, and you know, have a bigger impact? Great question. So I think in 2014, you know, our firm had been working in Detroit um, and, um, you know, had some success working with major anchors there. And we were introduced to the Hyde Foundation, um, who, who at the time, I believe, was interested in looking at national models of how institutions could engage. And um, we were introduced um, uh, invited them to Detroit. Several members of the Hyde Foundation team um, came over and visited um, Detroit, and we showed them around. Um, and we had a great 
conversation. And then um, we were, you know, a privilege to be invited down to Memphis. I think it was January of 2015. I remember this because I almost missed my flight, my connecting flight to get there. Um, and um, we came in and we were asked to present uh, the sort of theory behind the anchor work uh, to a number of different stakeholders. And then um, we set up, I think, a number of different meetings uh, that just kind of went around from institution to institution to talk about the idea, um, knowing that, you know, um, this was something that couldn't be done sort of with one institution by itself. It needed to have a collaborative, um, you know, effort. Um, and, and what we realized uh, very quickly was that, you know, while the anchors had been investing, um, you know, in a small nonprofit, it, it probably wasn't enough um, to really get the work done that they needed to, to do. And so we we did a, um, our firm was engaged to do kind of an initial sort of strategy. We looked at a lot of data. We understood where employees were living and students were living and purchasing, uh, the goods and services were purchased. And, um, and it really became clear to us that there was a major opportunity that these institutions had been investing on their campuses um, significantly but they hadn't been thinking about the space between the campuses and, um, and with a collaborative approach um, and, and, and also intentional funding that really kind of with, with a heft that really could make a difference um, there, there would be a, an opportunity to kind of create a, a more vibrant medical district. So that that's kind of the lay the groundwork for it. And then, um, you know, beyond that, we were, we were asked to, to, to help stand up the organization. So um, I was introduced to Tommy Pacello, um, who, uh, uh, you know, is a, was a, a dear friend of mine. Um, Tommy unfortunately passed, um, last year, um, very, very too soon in life. And, um, Tommy was, um, instrumental in the, in the creation of, of MMDC. He, he originally, he first, he joined U3's team, uh, and Tommy and I worked together on the business plan, uh, for MMDC. We, we did fundraising conversations with the anchors and foundations and others. And then, um, we were, you know, ha happy to hear the interest and the commitment. And, uh, and then Tommy became the first president of MMDC. And so, um, you know, it was off to the races. Well, and my impression at the time was that there had to be, that not all the anchors were necessarily completely bought in to the strategy. And I, I think part of it, and I don't know whether we'll have a chance to talk about this, but I mean, not only is there a huge community benefit, but it unlocks opportunities and, you know, revenue opportunities and asset value for the institutions. Um, and I think, you know, that upside is something that um, people don't always think about, but know it exists. Yeah, that's right. And I, you know, I think the institutions, all of them had been I should say they were investing in their campuses and, and they, they all had community outreach. You know, they all did things in the community, but, you know, maybe not to the same extent that other national, you know, other anchors were doing it in other places. And, um, you know, it, it really, you know, the, the opportunity to come together around this collaborative to create, you know, unlock the opportunity for them and then create value in the neighborhood. You, Emily, you, you mentioned this, you know, one of the things that we've, we've seen is an opportunity for some of those parking lots that the anchors own, perhaps to become not parking and perhaps yeah, to become that's real, that's real development estate. opportunities. That's, that's exactly. those are real estate assets. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a potentially, you know, near term benefit. It will take, you know, it's taken time. Um, but, but it's, you know, the fact that maybe they won't need as much parking in the future. That's a, you know, to me, that's a huge opportunity and win for MMDC. Imagine that needing less parking. 
<laughs> now, hopefully, maybe we'll talk about that more if we have time. So, Rory, draw, draw a little. Um, I feel like, you know, in the, in the planning community development world, everyone's sort of familiar with the medical district. But just even though we're on the radio and not there's not really a visual element, draw a little picture for us for what the boundaries of the medical district are. And then there's, of course, there's a lot of really cool neighborhoods within that. Just just list some of those as well. So people have a sense for where it is. Yeah, well, I will share it's basically the you know space between downtown and midtown. And ultimately, you want to make it, you've seen a re- revitalization in midtown and downtown, and we want to make the medical district not skip a beat. So um, it's really, you know, based upon what those anchor institutions are. So you have, uh, you know, Cleveland, uh, Methodist University, then as you go further up north, uh, kind of northwest end is outside uh, St. Jude. Um, it's kind of kind of where the boundaries are for the medical district. So really where those major anchor institutions are are based. So what are the um, what are the anchor institutions? Uh, Regional one, uh, St. Jude Methodist, uh, Baptist Health Sciences University, uh, Southern College of Autometry, uh, Southwestern Community College and uh, University of Tennessee Health Sciences Center. And what are the response? What are the for either one of you, what are the responsibilities of the anchors? I mean, presumably there's a, a, a financial contribution, but what are their other roles and responsibilities in guiding the work? Well, I was sharing this, you know, almost six months or so. Uh, I've just been really impressed with the commitment uh, of these, you know, we're in a pandemic. So you have, you know, these uh, hospital CEOs are busy, you know, colleges have all types of things going on as well, too. Uh, but just their commitment uh, to be involved. And, you know, it's already been mentioned. I mean, this is something that's been going on five or six years. So they definitely see a lot of value in it. Uh, but just engaging on, you know, Alex mentioned some about even the higher local side of, of the residents. So um, with, between those institutions, it's about 23,000 employees, nearly 8,000 students. Uh, but it's between you know, roughly 10,000 or so residents uh, within a medical district. And, um, you know, with that 67 percent African-American, uh, over 40 percent live below the poverty line, uh, you know, not a lot of homes are owner-occupied. So uh, they see a lot of value in, you know, working with the residents. So through the higher local program, uh, ensuring that they get trained and job opportunities at these institutions, uh, benefits and more career ladder approaches for more economic mobility. Um, they see a lot of benefit with that. Uh, as Alex mentioned about the buy local piece, um, they want to spend local, but they also want to spend with diverse uh, businesses as well, knowing that minority women businesses have a lot of challenges, and especially being in Memphis, uh, you know, majority minority city. Um, there's definitely a lot of opportunity to spend with minority businesses. So a lot of emphasis and commitment that they have. So it's not really just the CEOs, but the human resources team, the marketing team, procurement team, all are involved throughout the institution. I can imagine they would need to be. Yeah. So let's, let's talk. Oh, Alex, go ahead. You were going to say something. Oh, I was just going to mention one of the things that I think is also really remarkable about MMBC is that, um, you know, we have a board of directors. Um, We have on that board, um, you know, the CEOs and chief executives and senior, you know, very senior executives of these, of these organizations that are at the table, um, working together every day. It's, and, and they've, they've remained committed, um, to this organization. So it's, it's been great to, to actually have, um, you know, the, the CEOs involved, um, and they've been involved since day one. 
So Rory, you brought this up. Let's actually talk about, you know, the buy local, live local, hire local, that whole. So, I mean, and maybe this is an obvious question, but I want to ask ask it anyway. Um, and I guess starting with you, Alex, why is that so important to these anchor strategies? It's important for, I think, for a number of reasons. You know, number one is, um, you know, as an institution, you're always trying to attract and retain talent, right? Um, you know, there's, you know, nursing shortages across the country. It's hard to find, you know, you know, there's a lot of, especially in the medical field right now, there's a lot of shortages of, of talent and, and there's a lot of competition. Um, so, you know, the the live local is not only an opportunity to provide a, a benefit to your employees, but it's also an opportunity to potentially reduce your the need to provide um, things like parking. And actually, when we, we created a program like this in Detroit called Live Midtown, um, and we were talking about the um, the idea of, of creating a housing incentive program to attract employees to Midtown Detroit. And um, the the CEO of Henry Ford Hospital, I think, you know, understood and said, you know, look, it takes it takes me, you know, six months to train a uh, a nurse practitioner, um, and it costs this amount to build a parking space. And if I can figure out that it, it it's going to be more efficient for me to train. Uh, that nurse and, and have that person stay and remain as opposed to building more and more parking, that, that that's a benefit for me as an institution. But not only just as an institutional benefit, it's a benefit for the community. It's a benefit for the neighborhood. The more people that live close by, um, the better, the more opportunities there are to create, you know, retail and amenities, um, that things that serve the rest of the community. And, and I think oftentimes when people talk about anchor strategies, there's often this sort of discussion around, maybe not often, but there's a, this, a thinking that, you know, this is something that's just for anchor employees or just for the institutions. It's really, you know, if you think about it, it's, you know, the, the same things benefit everybody, you know, access to grocery stores, um, having more people around potentially creates an opportunity to build a grocery store, um, you know, uh, restaurants and, and shops that can serve everyone. You know, th- those are things that that are good for a community that create a safer street when more people are on the street. So, so I think, um, you know, the benefit for having the, the, the live local is to, is to kind of attract and retain people in the neighborhood, uh, make it feel safer, more vibrant. Um, and then buy local and hire local. Roy was talking a little bit about this, but um you know, buy local is really thinking about just infusing spend into the local economy um, and providing opportunities for businesses um, that are um, particularly businesses owned by people of color um, to, to have an opportunity to, to, to actually be customers of these anchor institutions um, and, and tap into their purchasing power. Um, higher local, I think, is critical because it really um, provides that pathway for neighborhood residents. And I think some of the, the zip codes around the MMDC are some of the poorest in the city. Um, we've specifically targeted those zip codes for the higher local program. Um, so creating the job opportunities um, for residents, I think, is, is critical uh, as, as part of this whole comprehensive strategy. And then I think the last thing, which I don't think we've talked a little bit about, haven't talked much about, is the sort of place-based aspect of this. That well, this, let me this, let, hold oh, that. Sure. For, I, would, I do sure. want to talk about that. Okay. Um, but let me just reintroduce you. Um, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm talking to Alex Feldman from U3 Advisors and Rory Thomas from the Medical District, Memphis Medical District Collaborative. And we're talking about the, me- the Medical District Collaborative neighborhood, really, and which is celebrating its its five-year anniversary. So before we, I do want to talk about the place, but, but while we're still on the, you know, the bi-local. So Rory, you're, you're, you actually came to the Medical District Collaborative 
I think you said six months ago. Um, and your background is, I think, working with small businesses. And it, se- it seems to me, I'm, I'm familiar with the, um, I'm more familiar with the, you know, the live local and the hire local programs. But it seems like buy local would just be a, ch- a real challenge for hospitals who are purchasing vast quantities of things and, you know, looking for the lowest price. And how how is MMDC connecting this purchasing decisions with, you know, small minority women-owned businesses. How are those connections happening? And do you have experience? Your past experience, hopefully, will you'll be bringing that to bear. That's where about three questions, and I'm sorry. No problem. No <laughs> problem. Well, I'll just start with it's, it's it's all about being intentional, and it, it starts at the top. So if that CEO says this is something that we want to focus on, local and diverse spend. Uh, that's where you can, you know, have uh, the focus and get, you know, creative about ways of addressing those uh, those needs that they have. So, just for example, for you know, minority women-owned business, um, typically first generation uh, may not have the capacity, the funding, and so forth. So, there may be opportunities for, you know, example, as JV. So, if there are, you know, let's say there's a larger uh, minority firm out of Atlanta. Uh, you may want to say, hey, there's an opportunity to connect with this local minority form, uh, business and maybe do a you know, t- uh, mentor protege or JV opportunity that so way. So that's joint venture when you're right. saying j- okay. joint venture. Joint. That's actually, that's a really interesting idea. So you would, yeah, uh, you would approach a, a larger firm in Atlanta that is a paper supplier and 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 see if they're interested in connecting with Okay. Because if, if you say that, you know, we have this organization, so uh, Methodist, St. Jude, Regional One. A big customer. I'll <laughs> purchase the same goods and services for the hospitals. And we are intentional about, you know, identifying, uh, you know, minority woman uh, company. Hey, here's the opportunity here. Are you to set up shop in Memphis and and so forth? So those are the creative, intentional ways. And just uh, I think in our, our five year report, it, it kind of shows that it's been about ninety four million dollars uh, that these anchor institutions have increased spend with local businesses. And of that ninety four million, about twenty three million has been with diverse businesses. And even just looking further at the data. Um, something that you three helped us with and uh, these anchor institutions continue to to provide this information annually. Uh, They've retained the relationships, supplier relationships with their diverse businesses more than they did with their overall suppliers and even just local suppliers. So it shows their commit, that shows their commitment to the work. Shows their commitment, but also on our team as well, making sure that we are uh, presenting them with those capable uh, businesses as well. So uh, like this company has the potential to scale to be able to service you and so forth and making sure that if these opportunities come about the technical system, so uh, banking relationships and uh, other, you know, to increase their capacity. So looking at all of those aspects, but we see that as a another program that we can really grow over the next five years, especially given uh, you know, the, the poverty and other things within the, the Memphis area. I'm a lifelong Memphian, so I you know, definitely know a lot uh, that that goes on in the, in the city and, and experience a lot of things that uh, and studies show that minority businesses, as they grow, 
they tend to hire more minorities, same as women as well. So we're able to you know, help with minority women businesses. It's really going to elevate and help uh, with other issues in the city. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, it's very important. And of course, a lot of those small businesses were, you know, hard hit by COVID. I mean, that's a whole another show. Um, but but uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that. So um, so, Alex, you brought up, um, you know, sort of physical assets. And I wanted to talk about that, about I mean, the Medical District Collaborative's done a lot of uh, placemaking, activating Activating public spaces and creating new public spaces also has done a lot of, um, you know, streetscape improvements and just cleaning up the streets. Talk a little bit about why that's so, I mean, again, this seems like an obvious question, but um, why are those things so important to these, you know, the revitalization of these neighborhoods? That's a great question. And um, I think to quote a, a, you know, my friend Tommy Pacella, he would have say he would say you have to be brilliant on the basics in order to uh, to uh, make the place livable and vibrant. Um, I mean, our, our mayor's our city mayor either stole that or borrowed it because that's his that's his mantra. <laughs> and maybe Tommy stole it from him. I'm not sure, but I know I know I heard I first heard it from Tommy. But it's if Mayor Strick is listening, yeah. we we know that's your mantra. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> exactly, go on. I'm right. sorry. Um, so, so being brilliant on the basics is about, you know, making sure the streets are clean, that the, the lights are working, the street lights are working, that the, the place feels safe, um, that you are, um, you know, that the, that you're ready for investment. Right. Um, and so, um, you know, one of the things that when I first met Tommy, I really admired about him is that he was, he really cared about, um, the, the quality of place. Um, in fact, I don't know if, if, if you've ever, if you ever had a chance to walk around Memphis with Tommy, he would literally pick up litter when he walked and it was, and, and he walked really fast. So I, he was a fast walker and, and I would be trailing behind him and he would be like picking up soda cans and, and things like that. I'm a fast walker too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, um, you know, it was, it was sort of in his ethos to kind of think about um, the physicality, the place that we were in. Um, so one of the first things that we did at MMDC was to create a playbook for specific intersections of the medical district to look around and see like what, what could be improved. Um, and those could be done through um, some low-cost interventions, um, you know, not necessarily guerrilla style, but enough where you could put a little bit of money into a place, create a create a, a you know an improvement, um, you know, and and that would have a huge impact. And you've seen that, you know, uh, in the Edge District, you can see that around Health Sciences Park, you can see that on MLK, um, and it's been. Um, it's been, I think, really effective to show kind of those that the the, the medical district cares about the, the the street. It's also better for pedestrians, right? I mean, it's, it makes the place more welcoming to people that are not coming by car or want to walk around. Um, it makes it safer. Uh, those things are those are important things. Yeah, it's it's amazing that things like how fast cars are traveling down the street changes your perception about whether you want to go to a place or whether you want to go back to it, return it up, you know, work some in this placemaking space when I was at community development council. And, and a lot of those things are just real eye openers. They seem obvious, but they, um, they're, they're very impactful. So, so just turning the topic a little bit towards, um, you know, some of the commercial corridor revitalization, because I feel like that's where the placemaking and the small business 
assistance development sort of intersect. So, and there's been some of that on on in Madison Heights, some of it in the edge. So one of you just talk about that, about that, about that work specifically, sort of the commercial quarter or the commercial node programs. Uh, well, well, I'll just share it. And going back, as Alex mentioned, it's clean and safe and uh, definitely want to shout out our ambassador team program. Uh, that is, I mean, I think the, the, really the game changer of uh, attracting investment within the district. And what so is the ambassador know, program? So this, these are the men and women that go around in the blue shirts, uh, picking up litter and uh, removing graffiti, uh, watering plants. We have over 900, not, we have 981 planters in the medical wow. district. <laughs> I'm, I'm, impressed you, I'm impressed you know that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, a lot of data I'm, I'm learning over the next, uh, over these first six months, and you know, uh, weeds and everything, and just even that visibility as well in the district. So those hospitality services as well. So they've been a, a big game changer in uh, attracting a lot of uh, investment into the district. But uh, within, uh, I believe, the first five years, about 300 million. But fast forward through 2021 now. It's been about $545 million in completed and planned development within the medical district. Wow. Um, yes, it, it, it's it's really taken off. It's really becoming a magnet for investment now. And one of those major uh, investments taking place is the Orleans Stations Project. Uh, most people, even new stations who you know just come by and like, what is this massive development that's taking place? But it's uh, a partnership with Henry Turley uh, Company and UT. Uh, it's really going to help make the uh, medical district even more of a destination. So 372 new apartments, 16,000 square feet of uh, retail space. So a real game changing um, opportunity. And you've had you know other developments with Orion Federal Credit Union taking the one of bread. Uh, big urban on union project plan near uh, Methodist as well, the ravine, just a lot of uh, investment that's taking place within the medical district. But it really goes back to, you know, as, as Alex shared and really just the foundation of uh, the organization of making sure that it's a clean and safe environment. And it also helps track, you know, investment, not including the billions of dollars of investment that's taking place at our anchor institution. So as you go, you know, down the medical district, you see what's going on at UT, you see what's happening at Le Bonner and uh, Methodist University and the billion dollar plus expansion at St. Jude. So it, it's really becoming a, a hotbed for investment right now. For and, sure. And and if I could um, just add a little bit to that, because I think Corey painted the picture really well. Um, you know, the, the what I think is, um, you know, the first couple of years, it was, you know, those big projects wouldn't, they weren't possible, right? It was, it was about sort of, um, you know, the, the small, the small wins, right? And this, and, and kind of filling in the gaps in the neighborhood. And so, you know, what the medical district had, you know, there were a lot of parking lots, but there also were, you know, a lot of small businesses. And so how could MMDC best support them? Um, you know, we did a lot of grants uh, to businesses to um, help them grow. Um, you know, I think Philip Ashley Chocolate is one of those businesses that we've supported in early days. Uh, I think we were also very supportive of Edge Alley, you know, as it opened up. Uh, and then businesses that um, that have decided to, you know, remain in the neighborhood. I don't know if, or if you want to talk about Alcinia's as an investment. Um, that, that, to me, is a great story to, to tell. It is a great story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is which is awesome. Uh, Shell's work at MDC, MMDC, but also having partnerships as well. So I know Community Lift and uh, DMC and other organizations partner, but 
Uh, Alcinius is a staple, well, a national uh, in the pinch neighborhood. Company, right, right there. And uh, she's been over there, I believe, 30 years or, or, or so, but um, world famous. And uh, now she is one of few African-American females to actually own their own building uh, in downtown Memphis. So uh, MMDC assisted her with technical assistance, providing funds and uh, DMC Community Lift and others to, to really help make that happen uh, for her. So we, we see that as a uh, you know, the type of things that we want to do to help small businesses, those that are even, you know, still here in the medical district, help them scale. And uh, and something that we see as well, just in addressing the, you know, the, the poverty um, and other things as well. It's been recent press about the Kresge grant that we received in which um, it was more on a health program of health equity. But they realized as they were doing this work in these cities, if you want to have health equity, uh, you have to help close the racial wealth gap in these communities. So we know ownership is a key way of building wealth. So that's something that we want to do uh, going forward with our small businesses, give them more opportunities to own and also the residents as well in the district. Yeah, and I've been impressed with um, the collaborative's ability or their desire to help you know, existing business, especially small retail businesses stay, you know, too often um, those small businesses that have been there forever either are encouraged to leave or just are forced to and don't have the opportunity to, you know, have a facade grant. And that's been like the, you know, the BAM thrift store at Cleveland and Madison is a great example. And there's a number of others right along in that area that have been there forever. And it's just, it's wonderful to see them supported and like I said, not just forced to move at some point. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. And um, we're talking about the medical, the Memphis Medical District Collaborative, which is celebrating its fifth anniversary. And we're talking to Alex Feldman from U3 Advisors and Rory Thomas, who's the president of the Medical District Collaborative. So I do want to sort of wrap up with some reflections, but the, but before that, I wanted to ask about transportation and mobility, because that's something that the Medical District Collaborative has invested a lot of time and money on through the shuttle and through, you know, different kinds of mobility. And just, Rory, talk about that a little, or, or Alex, because I feel like that's, you know, Memphis is so challenged from a a transit in particular perspective and, but the medical district obviously has a lot of, you want to bring down transportation costs, but also you want to reduce the number of surface parking lots. And so how have those strategies gone and are you looking to do, you have any, any particular plans to do more of that in the future? Yeah. And and I'll start, I can kind of share more, um, since I've been here and Allison kind of gives more background on some of the other work, but uh, I know MMDC basically pivoted during the pandemic. Uh, so we had the groove, which was the, the shuttle uh, picking up in different neighborhoods, dropping off at anchor institutions, um, you know, pre pandemic, but post pandemic uh, in partnership with Matt and DMC uh, have the groove on demand, which is basically a Uber lift. Um, you know, app that you can use to take you throughout medical district downtown and New Chicago areas as well. First 10 rides are uh, at no cost and then only a dollar 25 cents after that per ride. So uh, that really encourages a lot of people, 
you know, to, to save on costs and even just, you know, going to lunch or somewhere throughout uh, downtown and uh, the medical district. But also as a game changer, as I'm finding out for, for some who may want to stay in the medical district and work in other parts as well, in which there may be, um, you know, potentially a you know, cheaper rent at the time in the medical district. Um, so they're able to you know, stay in the medical district and just take the groove to work and back uh, each and every day. But it, it all plays a role. The whole streetscape, uh, the, the safer that you feel uh, walking, uh, you know, as a, it's one of the main things I want to do when I visit, a, you know, another city. I want to walk and find out. So, that, you know, if I feel that it is, you know, pedestrian friendly and safe and clean, uh, that's more, you know, I'm encouraged to walk. And um, in D.C., we even got an award this year through the uh, American Heart Association's um, Heart Hats for, uh, for Memphis Award, in which we're basically encouraging more people to, you know, really get out and walk and be more healthy that way as well. Well, you've invested so much in pedestrian infrastructure and signage and stuff. So, Alex, before you jump in, um, I just wanted to say that if anyone's interested in more information about the Groove On Demand shuttle, I actually did a whole program on that, uh, an interview with Lauren Bermudez, who's with Downtown Memphis Commission, who coordinates a lot of that work. If anyone's interested in more information, they can go back to the Memphis Metropolis website or the WYXR archives and listen to that. So, Alex, any thoughts about transportation and mobility that you wanted to share? I think it's just it's critical um, that um, that the, the you know I think it shows that we've been flexible as an organization to try different things. Um, you know, the groove was the first uh, the first attempt, and it was actually one of the first ideas we talked about um, for MMVC. It took a while to get off the ground, and what we realized was that you know the rideshare changed the game with transit, and um, and I think um, the fact that MMVC has been and with DMC and as a partner is really kind of um, jumping right into to a partnership with, with VIA is, is terrific. I'm, I'm excited to see what comes of it. So just to wrap up, um, I want to ask each of you just to, you know, to reflect a little bit about the last five years broadly, and then Rory, understanding that you're relatively new, and then and looking ahead a bit, Alex, I'm going to start with you just because you're, and I, I, give, I want to give Rory the last word since he's the man on the ground, but also, um, Alex, you know, you've really, on some level, you know, you've been an, a very involved observer. I mean, you've been a practitioner here, but, you know, very involved observer practitioner watching the work from a distance. So what reflections do you have? What do you think, what are you most proud of? It sounds like that you three is very proud of the work. Uh, and, but, but what do you think, you know, where do you think the opportunities are to do even, I don't want to say failures, because even though there are, are there are always failures, but what do you think are the opportunities to do even more that um, that you hope the, the collaborative will accomplish? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say that um, as I look back in the last five years, um, the work that MMDC has done has really been one of the highlights for me of, of my professional career so far. I mean, I've, I've just been privileged to be part of it um, and to be, um, you know, there from the very beginning uh, to work with terrific people um, to get it off the ground and to learn a ton during that, that whole approach. Um, you know, there was, a, we had a, a rough playbook in the early days and, and it was working with, I, I think, I think it's a testament to the Memphis community at how, open and um and flexible and and collaborative um 
you know, these institutions are um, and these CEOs are and, and willingness to kind of to take a chance uh, and invest in something that didn't necessarily have a 100% success rate. Um, but um, they knew that without that type of investment, you know, they would, they, there was, you know, there was little return back to them. So, um, you know, I, I look back and I, I, I think the work has been tremendously impactful, um, not only to the, to the Memphis medical district, um, but also to the community that lives there. Um, you know, I'm just proud of that work. I'm proud of the fact that, um, the medical district feels like a different place today. Um, it feels like it's a place that's, um, that's growing, that, that it's more inclusive, that is more, um, uh, vibrant. Um, and, and, and I, I'm just, you know, to me, it's, it's just a testament to, um, the creativity, the leadership, you know, especially Tommy Pacello, Abby Miller in early days, um, who were, you know, leading this organization from the very beginning, um, for us to be there working with them, supporting them. Um, and, and obviously also the, the Hyde foundation and other founding, you know, partners, um, critical to the work. So I just want, you know, for me, it's been, it's been an honor and privilege. And I, and I, and I said this earlier, but I really believe it, that I don't believe there's a, a better example of an anchor strategy going on today in this country than there is the, than the Memphis Medical District Collaborative. So Rory, I want to ask you what, what the future looks like to you, but first I wanted to ask you, I noticed, um, that your five-year report is the title of it is connecting with purpose. So I wanted just to, to elaborate on that a little bit and what that means to you and the organization. Well, I, I was sure. I think they came, uh, came about before I even started. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but what it means to me is uh, it's really all about collaboration and being intentional of, you know, if these institutions come together, as Alex, you know, really laid out with the anchor strategy, you know, wider anchors, owning real estate, purchase goods and services and uh, destination for students and employees and so forth, that this collaboration, uh, the type of intentional impact that it could have being economic engines that they are. I mean, we really are realizing that right now. So uh, definitely encourage everyone to, to check out the five-year report that's on our uh, website, mdcollaborative.org. Uh, it's a lot of uh, great things shared in there. Um, but it, it kind of also at the end kind of gets into the next five years and what we're planning as well. So uh, we want to have even further uh, collaborations uh, with our uh, anchor institutions on some interinstitutional uh, opportunity. Yeah, elaborate on that a little bit. Like what are, you may not want to say what those are, but what are some examples of, of course, my fantasy is shared parking garages, but which right. is not very sexy, but it's needed. <laughs> but what, what are some examples of kinds of projects? Is it like student housing or what are some kinds of projects that, it, that anchors can collaborate on? Well, that's some of, you, you've read the report. So those are some of the things increasing housing is one of the <laughs> Key strategic objectives is uh, mentioned with the live kind of live local program of those uh, 23,000 uh, employees at those anchor institutions, you know, just a little over 1% live actually within the district. So it's not that people don't want to live close to where they work, but if you don't have that, the stock in the right mix of housing there. Uh, so that is a major focus as well. You know, even just looking at safety and security as well. I mean, it's, it's every city looking at those, um, 
you know, how you can address that, whether it's through better lighting or uh, more hospitality services. So as Alex mentioned, some of the models, we, we went to Detroit and Philadelphia and saw some of their different models of, you know, how they do that to have that presence as well. Uh, education. I mean, you have to think about, you know, a place you want to live, work, learn and play. And uh, good schools and education always play a good uh, a pivotal role in where people want to live, work, learn and play and so forth. So uh, building community wealth is a, another thing as well, as I mentioned, uh, increasing resident employment, decreasing uh, income disparity within the district as well. Uh, continuing to grow on the, on the real estate side, those programs, increasing the connectedness with throughout the medical district. So uh, making people feel that, you know, it's not just a place for eight to five. Uh, but it is a 24-7 community around. So those are some of the things that we continue to look at over the next five years. And um, we're really excited about it. And I'm particularly excited that, you know, Rory, when I remember when I first met you, you you brought up the idea of, of education. You know, it's something that we hadn't really been looking at uh, as an organization. And I think I'm, I'm really excited with your leadership that we may we may start to kind of uh, identify opportunities for, um, you know, more work or, around you know, K through 12 education and uh, creating great schools in the neighborhood as well. Well, that's interesting because, you know, University of Memphis, which of course is its own anchor, is, you know, building out its, I mean, they've had an elementary school for a while, but it's building out its, um, the rest of its K through 12. And, and of course, Crosstown, you know, has a high school now. So I guess, Alex, I mean, are there other anchor districts you've worked with that have, that have, um, sort of seeded their own schools? Yeah, several. Um, I think the best example that I know of is, um, well, two examples that I can think of in Philadelphia that are great. One is um, the University of Pennsylvania um, did a community partnership school. It was a public school um, in West Philadelphia called um, uh, the Penn Alexander School. And that 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 is a, it's a K through eighth grade uh, school. It um, served neighborhood residents, and it pr- it basically was a, a public school that had a subsidy from the university, um, and um, it's been wildly successful. Uh, and and it's one of the I think it's probably the top elementary K through eight school in in the city of Philadelphia. Um, and then another example, which I Rory and I got to visit uh, earlier this fall was in uh, the Drexel University just opened. Um, it's a partnership school between a local elementary school and a um, and a, um, a, a charter school, uh, they actually share the same building. Um, and, um, it, it's a, it's a science leadership Academy and the Powell elementary school, which, which are, which is housed in one building on two different floors, sharing facilities, sharing cafeterias, sharing uh, playgrounds and things like that. But, um, and, and all on, on a property that's owned by the university. Um, so great examples of, of just different ways that those things can play out. I could totally see that working in the district because you've got so much, you know, intellectual capital and professional expertise and got an opportunities for people who work in the district. Another reason for them to live there, they could send their kids there. And, and of course, you've got the community college, which is perfectly positioned to provide assistance and be a natural. Anyway, I like this idea. So (laughs) I want to see that happen. (laughs) There there is uh, the medical district high school that just started this uh, fall semester. So it is really okay. Located at Southwest Tennessee community college. I did not know that. So it is, uh, uh, they're starting with ninth graders right now. I think about a hundred ninth graders and plan to add a hundred 
students per grade kind of going forward. But uh, these students will graduate with their high school diploma, but also an associate's degree uh, in an allied health field or in IT. So immediately they're ready to, you know, go into the workforce or, you know, go to one, of, you know, go to UT and Baptist for their BSN and, and so forth. So there, there is that, you know, kind of that pipeline being built. But we definitely see even on the early childhood side of, you know, just high quality child care, you know, which is something that young professionals and as we talk to people in other cities as well, they deal with it as well. Everyone is on the same waiting list at the same <laughs> child care center. So how do you, you know, even start at that age as well? So, yep. That's, that's, that's amazing. Okay. Well, that, that, I mean, this has been all really a good news show, but that's a great um, note to end on because I'm excited about the potential for that. So I've been, even listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM, I've been talking to Alex Feldman, who's the managing director of U3 Advisors based out of Philadelphia, and Rory Thomas, who's the president of the Memphis Medical District Collaborative. And we've been talking about the five-year anniversary, looking back, looking forward at the Memphis Medical District Collaborative. And I think I did, I didn't normally introduce myself in the beginning of the show and I didn't, I'm the host, Emily Trenum. So Rory and Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Russ College is now accepting applications for the fall 2022 semester. For more information, visit rustcollege.edu or contact admissions at 662-252-8000, extension 4043. Rust College, where tomorrow's leaders are students today. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.